0: Hello, and welcome to Herding Code. This episode is being recorded on a- April April 3rd, is that right? Oh, smooth, still March? Kevin. I feel like smooth. it's
1: still March. Jeez, uh, Kevin, that was smooth, man. You, you should do this for a living.
0: <laughs> and I am joined uh, today by smart-ass Rob Connery and, <laughs> and John Galloway. Hello. And we are here today to talk about transitioning between Mac and Windows. John recently made a a life change and is <laughs> doing more work on the Mac side. And, and Rob has recently transitioned over to do more Windows stuff. So we thought it'd be fun to talk about how those switches went. John, why don't you, sorry, go ahead.
2: Yeah. We're calling this, a, this is the freaky Friday edition.
0: Right. Right. Rob and being Don recorded on rooms. a Friday.
2: Yes. Yep. Yeah. So I recently switched to, I'm working, I'm working with the VS for Mac team. I'm kind of like. I'm like, so it's a little bit less, I don't know. So my, my role really is just like .NET dev on a Mac. So, but you know, mostly looking at, at visual studio for Macs. Yeah. So that's been fun. I've been doing most of my dev work on, on Mac for, for the past several months. And, and yeah.
0: So for people who don't know, like what is, what is Visual Studio for the Mac? Like what, what's the kind of uh, the, the backstory there?
2: Yeah. Well, so this is confusing, right? So there was Visual Studio for Windows. It's been around since it was, I don't know, interdev or whatever. The, You know what I mean? It's like early, late 90s, early 2000s, whatever. It's been around quite a long time. Then there was, there was Mono. There was Mono Develop. And then Mono became Xamarin. And they had Xamarin Studio. And it was really focused on building Xamarin products. And then with the acquisition of of Xamarin by Microsoft then they've kind of productized it into Visual Studio and some of the you know like over time mono develop mono has changed like so originally it was this cross platform it was all gtk it was there's some trade offs to doing that you know like in being fully open source cross platform thing to like, there's not the same kind of quality stability kind of things that you can get out of visual studio for windows. So that's been a lot of the focus. And then the other visual studios, visual studio code. And that confuses people like, cause we've done things where we'll do like a customer interview and it's like, okay, we're talking to a team that works on visual studio for Mac and then we'll talk to them and they're like, yeah, I'm on my Mac using Visual Studio Code and, you know, I'm really like, oh, oh, okay. Well, so, you know, and that's partly our fault, like branding and naming is hard, but the idea is Visual Studio Code is like a lightweight editor. You know, it's, it's quick startup. It doesn't, it doesn't have a whole lot of bells and whistles, which is fine for a lot of people that just want to type code and edit code really fast. And then there are a bunch of extensions for it and it's cross-platform and open source. And then the idea is, you know, Visual Studio for Windows and Visual Studio for Mac. The idea is more of a integrated developer environment. So something where you're, you know, you're going to have more like project templates and scaffolding built in and, and, you know, more debuggers and analyzers and, and that kind of stuff. So, so that's kind of, you know, the difference in the field it. Okay.
0: So why don't you give us like the quick, you know, like what was the initial transition to being a, a, a real Mac user like for you? Like what were the, what, mm. were the, what was the pain points? What was frustrating?
1: <laughs> what did it you was know? joyous. It was, it was joyous to watch this go down on Twitter. I have to say.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, so
2: let me give my full Apple backstory. I learned, a, I learned a program on an Apple II in high school. For summary, re- we had somebody that was a previous Apple exec like was part of the board of my school or whatever. And so we had all these Macs. So I was actually like the high school Mac geek. And I was, I was doing all this, like I was way into hyper card and I just loved all the Mac stuff. And then over time I went to college. I'm like, what's this windows crap We have to do windows. And so whatever, I learned some windows and, you know, over time it's, it's, I've had like two brains to it because undeniably like Apple hardware, and, and most software is like the fit and finish is just beautiful and it all just works really well. And there's all, it's like just this one kind of, there's only, you know, one of them. So like they, they test it and make sure it's perfect and it works. And then windows is kind of, yeah, it's been different. There's, you know, registries and I don't know, there's all kinds of stuff, but I got used to it. Right. So, and then kind of more recently, I was looking at my Twitter history because I was asking stuff about homebrew and I was like. You know, I was, I would say at Microsoft when .NET Core first was becoming a thing, it was first K, Project K, and then it was DNX, and then it was .NET Core, and now it's going back to just .NET. But anyhow, that part of the thing with that was it was cross-platform. And so I, I, for a while, traveled with two laptops everywhere. You know, I had a Windows laptop and a MacBook Air, and... I would, you know, pop it out and say, like, here's my quick little demo. See, it runs .NET Core. And then I would put the laptop back away and go back to Windows, you know. I mean, we really, like, it was air quotes worked on Mac, but it didn't, I don't know. We didn't really do much with it, you know. We just made sure it compiled and ran, but there was no, like, IDE for it or editor, and there wasn't much that you could really do. You know, that we that most, I would say most Microsoft presenters, when they said it runs on Mac, that's about all they do. It's like, okay, we're done. Oh,
1: yeah. The punchline, <laughs> the forever punchline.
2: Right. And it runs on a Mac. I did have one experience with that, though. I was in Moscow speaking at a conference. I was actually doing, a, I had like a little five minute, five or 10 minute thing in a keynote at a conference there. And I had my Windows machine and my Mac. And I spilled coffee. I was like sitting in my hotel room. I'm like, I am so ready for this. I've got all these demos ready and everything. I spilled coffee on my windows machine and it got into the keyboard and like I very quickly like turned it upside down, put towels on it, everything. And I'm like, okay, it's, it's working fine. It's working fine. Going through, start typing. And I'm like, huh, the letter N isn't actually responding on my keyboard. And then slowly, like there is liquid inside the keyboard. It's like slowly, like other keys stop working, you know? Oh. And I'm in full panic mode. Cause I actually had a tech check that afternoon in the keynote the next day. And I'm in Moscow. Like, I don't know what to do, you know? And then I'm like, wait a minute. I bet I could do most of these demos on the Mac. And then I, I, I was like, wait a minute, this is an Azure demo. I can do this. I can, I can totally spin it. This is Docker. I can do that, you know? And. I was like, I can do this entire thing on Mac. So, yeah. So that was that. So, anyhow, more, more recently, I John,
0: John I you realized the- it was it was your subconscious that made you spill that coffee, right? It was exactly.
2: <laughs> you should have seen the panic. Though I was like, oh no, what am I going to do? You know. So yeah, so I I got this MacBook in uh, September, and I did the standard stuff I've always done. Like I, so the first one I got was a loaner. And it was previously an intern had it, and I went through and did all the, you know, I I got my old scripts, my my homebrew, and I did all my stuff, and I just, you know, and then and then I got the real nice one in January, and that was actually where Rob and I started having a conversation because I was like, do I even need homebrew, and do I need what's what's like I've just always been doing stuff the same way, and maybe there's I don't even you know I'm not not like a, a week in, week out Mac dev user. So I guess some of some of the stuff that was interesting to me is kind of figuring out the best way to install things. And I guess to answer your original question, what's the experience like? You know, honestly, it's, it's kind of weird, but I feel like operating systems have gotten a lot less different over time. Like I don't really feel fi- like, I hop back and forth between Windows and Mac regularly. I use my Windows machine every day too. I, I run OBS on it and I use it for for some some conference calls and I try to keep up with Visual Studio for Windows and and I you know honestly it's like they both have like you know a quick launcher thing you know there's there's I use Alfred but there's also whatever Spotlight and then on Windows you've got the Windows key to launch stuff and they both have decent like Windows now has a Pretty good terminal, but the terminal experience is pretty good. I mean, there's little things like on the Mac, I miss, I miss the touch screen. I actually am one of the few people that uses touch screen, and and my MacBook, I'm looking at it now, has all these fingerprints on the screen from when I tried to touch it and move something. But yeah, I, I don't know. It's actually been less, a little less crazy than I thought. I don't have to edit the registry, so there's that.
0: what about from like an application perspective are there things that you 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 know you you use on the mac that you really love or things that from windows that you really miss
2: it's taken me actually like doing dedicated development on the mac to really dig into using the touchpad the all the things the three finger swipes the four finger swipes the eight finger swipes all those swipes and things I really never kind of learned before and I kind of finally get it like that's that's usable that's nice I like what else do I like the I would say generally you know it's it's most of the time better as far as battery life like I don't have to worry about battery life when it was fresh and new it was amazing then over time I slowly had to install you know some of the work stuff and, you know, then I'm running Docker on it and I've got syncing programs and stuff and it's not, you know, that eats away at it some, but for the most part, it's pretty darn amazing. I actually, I don't think I'm supposed to, but I like the touch bar um and the fingerprint scanner thing. I I like all that. I, I, I kind of find that pretty handy. I mean, John,
0: you're killing yeah. your cred here, you know. I know.
2: (laughs) Well, so let me see what, what's frustrating to me. Some of the stuff is just muscle memory. Like I, I don't know how to do something and then I go look, Oh, you know, one thing is windows I think is generally more stable. Like they move the cheese less often. So like, if I don't know how to do something, I'll look something up and then it'll be like, and here's how you do it on a Mac. Um, but it works on like lion or works on, you know, whatever, Mm -hmm. like, you know, like a, an old version and i like, Oh crap, what do I got to do? And then I find some long script and it's basically some like Unix hackers making something go, but then I don't know what all this bash stuff is doing. And then somebody else is like, just buy this app and it's $5. And it's, so yeah, there's a little bit, whereas on windows, pretty much I can go and find some random stack overflow question. Mark as not a question eight years ago, but it still has the answer and it still works. <laughs>
1: you know i think with catalina and some of the latest os updates they have locked so much down yeah uh, in the name of security i suppose i mean you know i don't want to poo-poo that but at the same time whoa you know what i was trying to use the other day is uh audacity and mm-hmm. it's like no it was totally blocked and i go to the developer's website and like yeah sorry can't use it on catalina i'm like what really keeps I mean, it at all but you couldn't up until a month or two ago, I guess it was, oh, wow. and they, they finally. But what what this is an interesting thing to me is what Apple's trying to do is you know lock down, lock everything down just a little tighter. Now and people don't. I like I mean, that how because, is that
2: different? Is that basically the Vista moment?
1: Yeah, I know, right? That's what a lot of people have been saying. It's pretty funny.
2: Because I mean, that was now. I don't know if they've done it better or worse, but part of the deal with the Vista was like. It was a little heavy handed and it was the UAC thing popped up all the time. And oh, it, yeah. it was, yeah. And it didn't like remember things. I think that they, over time, like with Windows seven, they got it better where it was like, don't elevate all the time or, or you know, like be smarter about when to elevate. Right.
0: I found that with Catalina, like when I first installed it, there was always this like flurry of new pop-ups mm-hmm. and approve this and that. But in the steady state, I don't really see that stuff very much. Yeah.
2: Okay, so, so I think that's actually a really big deal there. The steady state on either Mac or Windows is a lot less bad than the kind of time-to-time usage. So, like, for instance, I've, you know, I, I know people say, like, hey, I just opened my Windows VM, and it's installing 90 updates, and this sucks, you know? And, and actually, I think that's gotten a lot better with Windows 10. But I have the same thing, like, when I used to open up my Mac every two months, and it would have a ton of updates and Xcode's mm-hmm. updating and blah, 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 you know? And mm-hmm. and I, I feel like UAC and the Catalina Elevation stuff is the same where it's like, first install, this sucks. I hate it. And then after a few days, you're right. You've got everything installed and you don't have to worry so much. Yeah. One thing, I, I we got to dig into this homebrew thing because Rob really kind of pointed me to some of the big benefits. I was thinking of homebrew as basically like It's another chocolatey and chocolatey is cool, but it doesn't work quite as well for things that auto update. And you know what I mean? They're not like kept in sync. And then I I find like a lot of stuff when I would search for the installers on, on the Mac, it would, there would be like a big bootstrap blue download button and it would just download an installer, you know? And then I'm like, well, if, if everybody's got these big mm-hmm. blue download buttons, what? why do I need Homebrew again?
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, I mean, as Kevin, I'm sure would it agree with, well, I don't know, maybe not. The thing with that is that there's often two or three ways to do something. You know, like if you go, well, where, where is I? I was looking at something. I was going to have an example ready at the top of my head. But like, if you go to any one of these sites out there that make these development tools, for instance, you can download the source and compile it and build it your own self. You know, that's one way. You can use Homebrew to install a package. And then, yeah, you can also just download this, give me a DMG file, and I'm going to just drag over the compiled binary. And I think the interesting thing about that is that that is a spectrum, right? That's a like you start being a total neckbeard, like I'm going to build my own source, which a lot of people like to do. They feel like they have more control over it. But then in the middle is Homebrew, which will download the source and then build it for you, which is pretty cool. And also shove it into the cellar, which is what we talked about. So you know, it you have execution rights and all these other things. It just kind of configures these things for you. And the DMG files, as you know, is the .app directories that you just drag over into your application folder. And I think the thing that's really fascinating to me watching all this is the security model behind it all. And that's one thing I really appreciate about about Macs like you don't have the UAC you know you you don't really elevate you don't have to do pseudo Uh, anything Mm -hmm. that's in your application directory will run but it's only got certain privileges you know what I mean like you can't touch what's called wheel inside of the Mac user paradigm there's things that are just you cannot you even though you're an administrator on your on on your machine it's you can't blow that away because it won't let you which is kind of funny. <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: Well, it's I think that was a huge thing that you pointed out to me because if it's just a eh, conscripted and you know, whatever, it's like, okay, fine, but I don't plan to rebuild this machine for a while. But then when you pointed out to me that no, it's actually installing like you're not having to elevate when you do the homebrew experience and it's it's, it's I don't know, doing magical symlink things or whatever, but it's yeah. it's installing it differently. That's a big deal, and I think one big example of that is actually this this past week with Zoom, and there are all those things about Zoom elevating privileges and mm-hmm. tricking people and showing like, I, I skimmed it, but it looked like Zoom was showing like fake dialogues that were grabbing your password and mm. I don't know mining bitcoins or something. Yeah, <laughs>
1: that was, that was bad scene,
0: bad scene. It's like mimicking an yeah. operating system login dialogue.
2: Right, right. So, but if you install, I saw somebody tweet and they said, "From here on out, I'm not installing anything. I can install with Homebrew because I don't want to give. I don't want to give away those elevated permissions to anybody."
1: Yeah, well, it's it's one of those weird things where it's um, like Dropbox is a good example of this. Like, if mm-hmm. you install it on a Mac, it will it will prompt you and say, "We need full disk access." or whatever it is that I think it's full disk access and you know what the heck do you need that for right (laughs) you know why do you need that well it turns out that if you want to integrate it with your finder so you can see the little dropbox icon and you can like move things around that's all it wants to do well so they say but either way it's like oh right well I mean the finder has full disk access so you know dropbox has to ask for it but the the hard thing is is that they don't explain it very well. I mean, I'm not saying Zoom. I mean, I'm going to just kind of sidestep that argument mm-hmm. because, I mean, it's one of those things that sometimes people just do something and who's got the quote, you know, don't ascribe to malice, but, you know, it was, you could be ignorance. you know. I mean, they, they just might say, oh, we need to elevate because we need to have access to show the screen. You know which well, they, yeah uh,
2: they probably had people freaking out where it's like I can't run this on Catalina and my business has paid for all these licenses and yeah. you know fix it now
1: yeah and I don't for the you know before you send me hate mail I don't mean to defend any bad things that anybody's doing I but I, these are just some of the silly things that having a more strict operating system tends to force these application providers into you know
0: mm-hmm So John, are you, are you, were you trying to install like applications with, with, with Homebrew? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So first I put on visual studio,
2: visual studio code, GitHub desktop, gosh, VirtualBox. you know, a bunch of, like I installed the windows office stuff and all of those, when I went and, and, you know, bingled it up, it was always just the download buttons, you know? And so, and they, they auto update and all that. And they. But then over time, I started looking up things like, for instance, I found a shell script I like that that when I unpl- when I'm plugged into Ethernet, it disables the Wi-Fi because I don't know, like it toggles, you know. I don't need to have both on, and, and you know, some stuff like that. So then it's and and like just different scripts along the way, and then it was like, oh, you need to add it to path, or you need to, you know, and so then I'm starting to like drop scripts all over on my machine,
1: mm-hmm. and I'm
2: starting to feel a little less in control of like. I don't really even know what's going on here. You know, And then you're, you know, chmodding everything and you're like,
1: yeah. Oh, I hate that. You know what I mean? Right. Nope.
2: So then after a while, th- then when Rob talked to me and he's like, look, you know, this is, this is organized. It's repeatable. It's, you can, you can remove stuff. You can. And I'm like, okay, I get it now. Cause I'm starting to feel like, you know, messy desktop syndrome for my, for my machine. Leave OS X um, alone. The one, the one that I started. Did you say OS X, Rob. I, <laughs> I did. You know, I can sidestep this now because I can just call it Mac OS, and I'm, I'm safe, right? I can't mess that up.
1: Uh, yeah, that's true. I, I guess I just did a dumb dumb. <laughs> Windows is running his brain. Well,
2: so the one that I ran into, the first one was I, I didn't have Homebrew installed. I used to always have to use homebrew like right away because the SSL implementation that was used in. net, like required homebrew to install. So that was always first thing on the machine. But then this time around, I was like, I didn't actually hit anything that said, get it from homebrew and or you can only get it from homebrew until I hit the GitHub CLI the new, whatever GH thing. And then that one was like, just brew install it, but they had a a download button, but the download button was just a zip, the tar, and then the tar was just the exe. and then I'm like, okay, do I drop it somewhere and then add it to the path? And where's the best place to put it? Yeah. You know, that's that's another thing too. That's being newer to the system, I'm not sure like where's the right place to put it. Do I make a you know, like just a folder called stuff or you know, like utils or something and and add its path and and or is there and there's all these different user directories and I'm not sure which is the right one always and stuff.
1: Yeah. So that's a good question.
0: No but nobody's really <laughs> sure which is the right user directory to yeah. <laughs>
2: so that's yeah. part of why like okay if homebrew's doing it, I'm guessing somebody like some some nerds with big beards have like fought back and forth about this.
1: Yeah. Well I'll tell you what, you know, I usually when it when it comes to these things, you know, the people are so creative with packaging things, like for instance, Redis, you know, I, I realized cause I have a newer machine, I didn't have Redis on it. And so of course I start ticking off, you know, okay, do I, do I have to install it? You know, do I use homebrew? Do I just use Docker? I mean, there's like all these things. Right. And then mm-hmm. I'm thinking someone has probably bundled this in a dot app file somewhere. And sure enough, you go and you look up Redis dot app and they're like, yeah, just download it. Run it, run it as a thing. The little icon shows up in your, <laughs> in your icon. Box. Right. Uh, I'm like, Oh, that's cool. So I did that. You know, and it opens up the CLI for you and everything. I'm like, okay, that's the best option. I'm doing that.
2: <laughs> yeah. Cool. So I will tell you two like experiences that went against the whole homebrew thing. One was I did, I've been doing these project tie tutorials. So project high is this thing, the.net team, David Fowler, and some folks are building that is like kind of a, an, orchestration layer on top of Kubernetes and Docker that kind of magically discovers stuff and then it creates some YAML files. And if you want to override stuff, you can, but it's got like some conventions and auto discovery. But so I, one of the prereqs was like Docker. So I did okay brew install Docker, but I didn't actually, that installed. I didn't have, it didn't actually run the Docker desktop thing. And I didn't have
1: the payment
2: and the client and everything going. And then the same thing, so anyhow, then I start doing these tutorials and, you know, it's, it's like barking at me and there's weird Unix errors and I'm like scared and stuff. And then people on the Twitch stream are like, type this, go type that, you know, like delete your hard drive and stuff. So then, (laughs) so finally I just did the Docker install and then it just worked, you know? So I don't know.
0: I've kind of gotten back and forth on this over my Mac career, but the way I've kind of landed on it is if I'm installing programmer things, like, you know, like, programmery tools, then I use Homebrew. Mm-hmm. If it's, like, an application, if there's a dot .app, then I don't use Homebrew. Yeah. And that I, I found that to be... And I, I, I'll, you know, preface that by saying, like, I don't generally, like, have a big, giant script for rebuilding a machine from scratch if I want to do that. I, I haven't done that in years, so that is mm-hmm. one useful you know, case for homebrew, but um, I generally find for applications, like just nicely packaged auto updating applications. It's not really worth it to use homebrew.
2: Yeah. Okay. So that is an interesting trade-off is like, you don't like Mac does such a good job carrying forward old, like you can reinstall the machine and just bring everything along and, and like don't have to rebuild or like yeah. you don't have to rebuild your machine for one thing, right? Yeah, no. or you get a new machine and you can just carry your stuff along to it. So I think on windows, I, I did that more. When I rebuilt my machine, I wanted to have scripts to like get it up and running and in a good state. And a lot of the time I actually wouldn't just execute the script. I'd like copy and paste and execute bit by bit. Cause I wanted a little more control, but it like, at least was my checklist. I'll tell you one thing that's interesting to me that's different in the Mac and Windows world is you've got these like, okay, so you've got the, you know, the big official programs, you've got the programmery things where, you know, find your homebrew it and stuff. And then you've got these like tiny little one-off apps that are in the app store that are $3 or $7 or, or, you know, $10. And they do one little thing. And they're beautiful and they have, of course they have like nice fonts and stuff, but it's like, do I want to pay $8 to the, to, you know, and it's like, and those things are not going to be on homebrew. I don't think, and the, you know what I mean? So that, and we don't really have that whole mini app thing on windows so much. There's the windows store, but most of the time you don't, I don't know. I, I haven't bought anything off there for a while.
1: You gotta use shell script, son.
2: right but okay so like there's all these things alfred right is an example do you homebrew alfred
1: oh no i just that would be an app that i would probably just go and get oh i get what your question is yeah i mean just in general the choice between homebrew and uh, for me the choice between homebrew and going to the app store or a shell script literally is like kevin said you know is this going to be a long-running thing that i want you know, on my machine, Postgres is a fine example of this because they lately have been revving Postgres constantly. And, you know, after a while, you know, you've got to pay attention to what's on there and like the databases that are running. And it's not going to hurt my machine. But what has worked so much better for me is Postgres.app. You can Google that, but that's just an app that runs in your menu bar. And I love it because you can have multiple servers and they can have multiple versions. And sometimes I want to bounce between the two. So that's really nice. But for something that's like UI-ish, like like GitHub Desktop, for instance, mm-hmm. I would you know I would expect to go and grab like a DMG and just drag it over. And what else? You mentioned another one, oh, Alfred too. Like Alfred, yeah, just give me an installer. I wouldn't want to deal with Homebrew with that. That is one
2: slight difference between like Homebrew and Chocolatey. Chocolatey is more like it works just fine because it it's more like it'll just launch an installer with the silent options. So like Mm -hmm. on a Windows box, I can install, like for instance, you mentioned Audacity and there, you know, just tons of, I mean, uh, you know, like Visual Studio for Windows, like with all the different like workloads checked off, you can get that on Chocolatey and stuff, right? Right. So, So that is a difference where like, it is a little nice to, not have to remember, like, oh, yeah, shoot, I don't have, you know, Postgres app installed. Oh, I don't have this installed. You know, and, like, go right. get those all manually. Yep.
0: yep. I think, I'm, you know, I'm just looking over my my brew list here, and like just about everything is a command line tool that I've installed through Homebrew. I don't mm. see just about anything that, like, actually has a GUI. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah. And it does, it is interesting. Then you get the overlap, like with the auto updating things and the, like, I'm not actually even sure. Like if I homebrew install something like say, I don't know, GitHub desktop and it auto updates and then it does.
0: Yeah. No care. Add, I had that with Macvim. I installed Mac Vim through homebrew at one point and then it's been auto updating. And I have no idea. I, I think I have like three different versions of home Macvim on my machine now because of that. You know, you mentioned migration assistant. I just was going to mention the one thing that migration assistant does a terrible job of migrating is the homebrew directory. Oh. Every, <laughs> ti- every time I go through a migration, it's like, shit, homebrew is broken. You know, <laughs> I have to like, you know, change ownership on a bunch of folders. And that that is my biggest pain point actually with homebrew is just the, it's just breaks periodically. And it's something that I use rarely enough that like once every three months, I'll go do something on it. And it's, probably broken and i have to brew doctor you know change like some mac update change some file system permission and i have to go re-change the you know the folder permissions it's my biggest mm-hmm. by far complaint about homebrew is that it just tends to break periodically but this isn't really the homebrew show so there's probably other things we no know. no okay <laughs> talk to
2: me talk to me about dot files because like as i started customizing Ooh. things mm-hmm. and there's like you know, Z shell and Oh, my Z, how do you pronounce it? Oh, my Z, oh my Z shell. Oh my, oh
1: my. Welcome to the question of the day.
2: Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, but then I start like looking at that and customizing it and I did the obligatory, like everyone has to do, like get the power line, all just perfect and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then I start looking around and everyone's like, check out my dot files here and everyone's like got mm-hmm. their dot files out. D- do you folks do that? Is that.
1: Um, uh, I, I, I do one of the things I love about oh my Z shell, let's just call it that, mm-hmm. is the custom directory, and anything that you put inside of there gets loaded into your shell. So, like I have, let's see, I'm going to bring them up right now. So I have a bunch of little aliases that I use. Have you explored aliases at all?
2: I have. There's like a ton of. I need like a cheat sheet on the wall.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, you can just make whatever command you want an alias. And so, like, I'm looking at my, I'm looking at my custom directory here, and I've got. I got .zsh files for all kinds of things. I have one for Jekyll that will make a Jekyll post for me and stamp it with a date. I have another one that will go through a directory and resize all pings and and convert them using Image Magic to JPEG, you know, in an appropriate size. Whoa. Anyway, I got a ton of this crazy stuff, and I, you know, it's not like I'm a shell nerd, but like if you find yourself doing things over and over and over, I mean, that's what, that's why, um, uh, Dijkstra made shell scripts for us, and so we. I'm just kidding, but that's just a Gary Bernhardt invocation right there. Anyway, you can make a little function that gets loaded, and and you can just kick it off to a shell process, and it's a, it's really fun the way these things work. So anyway, I, that's those are my dot files.
2: I started looking around at, at at those plugins, and I was there's actually an official .NET Z shell plugin. Yeah. And all it I mean it's just like short little commands for like the .net sdk scripts and stuff but it's like wow. Yeah. No? And it, yeah.
1: I think my favorite plugin for oh my z shell is the .env or .env plugin. So if you have a, 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 .env, a .env file in your project, it'll automatically get loaded whenever you cd into that directory. And it just makes life so nice. So if you imagine you're working on a project in VS Code like a node project and you're tired of running mocha or you're tired of setting all these configurations or you want to have like your you want to have something that happens in particular whatever and you can just load up your .env file and inside that .env file you can not only put environment variables but you can also set aliases and so they can be aliases that are specific to your project uh... so for instance right now I'm actually I have a project open in front of me that I've been working on and I have a binary that runs uh, it's node. And so I'm using commander. And so to run this, like I could type npm run, you know, blah, blah, blah. It would automatically load everything and off we go. But I don't want to do that. You know, I want to I want be able to just type in what my users are going to type in when I push this module. Because it's going to be a global executable. So anyway, inside of my .env file, I have an alias. And it's, it's an Azure thing. So I just alias to Azure to this node executable. And so now I can run it and execute it as if, you know, it's just a... As if I'm just running it normally. I don't know. That's a long yeah. screed, but it's pretty. It's these things are addictive, and next thing you know, you're like scouring other people's things. Like Ryan Bates of RailsCast had the most amazing dot files for building servers back in the day when we had to do those things. And uh, oh my god, it's been so it's so fun.
0: Uh, John, I was going to ask you: Do you do PowerShell on the Mac, or do you do just you know? So PowerShell? I. I have it, but
2: I've been trying to do Z shell mostly. So I, I have it installed and that's part of, part of why I've been playing more with terminal lately is the new visual studio for Mac has integrated terminal and it's like, it's integrated um, pretty well with the, you know, with the Mac OS terminal. So like I can be running commands in the terminal and then switch over to, you know, the visual studio terminal and up arrow and my command histories there and stuff. So like, so I have like different terminals open, you know, like tab terminals open. So some for PowerShell, honestly, I'm not great at PowerShell and I don't think I ever will be. It's just, it's, it's like as a language, just constructed as in something that I've got a bunch of PowerShell scripts saved out every few months I'll like geek out on PowerShell and write a script I'm really proud of. And then I'll look at it three days later and go like, "What? This, what is, you know what I mean? It's, it's just the, the, I don't know if, do you, do you folks use PowerShell much?
0: I don't. No. I'm, I'm glad to hear you I, say that. Cause I've, sometimes I feel like I'm the only, well, I mean ex windows guy now, but like, you know, back even back in the day, I never took to PowerShell. I mean, I've done a little bit of stuff in it, but it just didn't really fit my brain in a way that was, I don't know. It just didn't.
2: I've, I've wanted to like it and I'll like, you know, for some people, I guess it's just not intuitive to me. So like, you know what I mean? I, I like, um, I spend a lot, I spend as much time as I would just like looking up a bash script and there's, you know, for like Mac or whatever, there's going to be more like actual bash scripts doing what I want to do. So, yeah. Yeah.
0: I I, I mean, I, I admire the, some of the principles that they're trying to, Address like you know not just passing text around but passing richer mm-hmm. constructs but just the way it actually worked just never fit in my brain.
2: I've done some like PowerShell scripts that I was like whoa this is incredible you know like connecting to services and you know pulling stuff down and like you're saying work, working with things as objects and it's nice to be able to use like .NET objects that I know and and you know I, I've. So I mean it's definitely as powerful. It's just I've, I've always felt a little bit like I'm writing a long regular expression that I'm not gonna understand the next day.
1: <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know? So true. Well I'll tell you what, here's a here's a fun you ever use the GI utility, gitignore? Mm, no. That's a cool one. I think to me that that really shows the power of what shell scripts can do. You know, because when you start a project Everyone needs a get ignore, and sometimes you know these binaries will create one for you, specific like Node might or Nuxt might, whatever. Mm-hmm. But anyway, uh, these people created this this utility called uh, gi. Anyway, it's a function, and it uses curl to go out, and curl just goes and gets a remote a remote address using HTTP, whatever. Anyway, it just it just goes out to the web, grabs a gitignore ignore file for you. You just have to pass in the argument of what you want, and it drops it in. And you just create it. you Ignore file, and you're good to go. And oh yeah. If you, if you go to and I did that a little bit. I was just playing around. So if you go to this website called azx.ms, that's that's mine. And so what I did is I I, I created the same kind of thing where I created this function that goes into your z shell, and it just curls out to this website. Uh, if you need to create an Azure script, whatever, and then just pulls it down, <laughs> which is pretty fun. I mean, it's, it's pretty neat. It's just like this one line command utility that is not, I mean, and it goes out to a website pulls down the source, <laughs> which I think uh, is kind of cool.
2: Yeah. Yep. For some of these things, i I honestly, I would like, if I'm using it a lot, then I would remember it, but otherwise yeah. I don't know. You know what I mean? Otherwise, I'm, Yeah
1: you got to look it up. I don't know anybody that knows these shells well. I do know a few people but I I can never remember these things.
2: Well, so I'm I'm curious, Rob, what your experience has been like you know, on, on moving over to Windows how that's gone.
1: Uh it's been interesting. So internally, you know, a lot of the people in my group have Macs. I would say I would say I don't want to say the majority. I think maybe the majority do have Macs. So anyway, when we our group is is mostly focused on reaching out, you know, beyond the Microsoft.net developer realm. So that's why, you know, we all come from those areas. So anyway, having a Windows machine was considered the exception. But slowly, you know, our IT departments and and security people, you know, they're like, We need you to we need you to make sure your machine is clean and a bunch of other things. So what ended up happening is People were starting to just move over to Windows because it was easier to connect. And I'm not saying this in any bad way. It's just the nature of life, right? And so that's, and I finally one day I was like, you know what, you know, I've been using this Mac forever and WSL has come out and I think I want to try, I want to try it out. Because the interesting thing to me is, you know, I always like that part of Mac. I like Unix, but it's not, it's, it's kind of a weird contorted bit of unix you know i don't own this machine like there's certain things i cannot do even even if i wanted to which is kind of good but at the same time it's sort of like unix Lite, i guess so anyway going over to going over to the windows machine and kicking up ubuntu was freaky and i mean freaky in a good way because i mean i've used ubuntu but i i've never really like had it as a development machine and i know that people that have jumped into Linux land from, from Macs, they swear by it. They will not go back to the Mac, you know, for anything that has to do with development. They like the Mac as a machine, but, you know, the operating system is, is interesting. I think it looks pretty. I think it looks the nicest out of any operating system I've ever used. But going over to Windows, I was pretty impressed. I mean, the, the graphics look good. I mean, there's a little bit of nudgy things that, you know, for me, visually, I can't stand. I mean, just the just the spacing and the architectural layout of like the of the of the interface of some of these applications drives me absolutely crazy. Like, uh, what was one I was using the other day? PowerPoint, and I was going through the menu bar, and I'm like, was this put together by five different groups of people that like some use metric and some use royal? I mean, this is weird. Like, maybe some use pixels and other use and I have no idea what people are doing, but there's like misshaped, misaligned. Font size differences, ay ay but whatever. I mean, that's just me being picky. But it's it's funny because like comparing the the our notes, right? You know, you're having a hard time with homebrew and installing things and getting work done, and I'm like offended by the visuals, (laughs) 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 which just I think really describes the communities pretty well. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. No, but it was really fun. I remember Hanselman helped me get rolling on uh, WSL two which required uh, you have to be on Insiders and whatever. But I remember kicking the thing up just being, I was blown away. And I'm like, wait, where is this? Is it a VM? What's happening? And and like the only answers you can find online are like, it's kind of a VM, kind of not, don't worry about it. I'm like, but, but, mm-hmm. but, but you know, I what are my resources? And like, you know, being a good Unix person, you can go and ask the machine, what, you know, what's available to me? And sure enough, you're you have access to everything. Yeah, you know, full resource, full RAM, full you know, everything. I couldn't believe it. And I just started like setting up this Unix box and I uh, using the windows terminal, the new one. And I mean, I, I fell in love with it. I mean, I got it. I got Z shell set up. I, I have Dropbox. I have all my stuff in Dropbox, including my bin files and my dot files and whatever. So once I had Dropbox set up on windows, I was able to access Windows from inside, the, um, which blew my mind. But inside the Unix bits, and so I just did my like startup using this, you know, z shell, right? And now I have it starting up the same on all my machines. I have all my aliases; they're all they're all the same. Ah,
2: uh, yeah, okay.
1: Yeah, so Dropbox will sync everything, and that's what I mean. We talked a little bit about how do you move stuff. I've I haven't moved anything using the utility. The Mac utility. I haven't, I, I did that once and I hated it. Cause it took like a whole night and I thought, why am I doing this? I'll just pay Dropbox. I mean, it doesn't have to be, you could be anything you want, but for me, like a sync utility like that has just been, has been wonderful. So I don't have to think about these things, but anyway, I think the only, there's been a few wrinkles here and there, but, but I've always found a solution. So here's one. I was working in windows terminal and I'm so used to, I'm so used to copy pasting little commands here and there and, or like you know, I'll ask I'll ask uh, the shell to go do something, and I'll just copy paste the result. And you can't really do that through Windows Terminal. You have to. It's weird because you have to right click and do something else. And it was just that that kind of got to me. But then I found, of course, if I just run the terminal, which you can inside of VS Code, it works. And and I found that out because I was asking Scott again, like, hey okay, so I, you know, I need to, I want to open this project, this node project now that I've downloaded from Git, how, what do I do? And he said, what would you normally do? And I'd say, I don't know, code dot. And he said, do it. And I did it and it worked. And I was like, that's voodoo. And that's when it, <laughs> that's when it hit me upside the head that what I actually, and seriously, it was, it was one of those moments where, you know, people say, people say like, oh, it was just like the air went out of the room or it was like this transcendent moment. I mean, no, it truly was. I couldn't speak for a couple seconds. And I'm like, are you telling me I've got a Windows machine? Let's split brain. And on one side is Unix. On the other side is like Excel and Word and all these things that I kind of miss, actually. <laughs> I like Outlook too. I know people don't even yell at me about that. But like, it, it was it was really, really bizarre. And so, yeah, VS Code opened up. And it's just in that directory, and it knows about WSL. Uh, I have the WSL extension running. And I was just like, "You've got to be kidding me!" Because like, it looks beautiful, right? And then I was then. So what I did is, and he said, "Open up the terminal inside VS Code," and I did, and there was my Z shell terminal, like everything. I'm like, "This is this is crazy!" And so of course, copy paste and everything works as I expect in there. And then I'm like, "This is this is a this is a very Linuxy Unixy experience where you." Your shell is different than the CLI, which is different than, you know, or your terminal, excuse me, is different than your shell. And you can choose whatever terminal you want, make it look however you like. And I was like, oh, wow. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. And it was it was really fun. So I just started working in that. But here's actually the best part. And this is totally the geekiest, dumbest thing. So I bought this. I bought this groovy laptop and I really like it. It's not one of the touch screens because I don't, I don't know. I don't like fingerprints all over my screen, <laughs> but I wanted something with horsepower because I do a lot of video work. And so I got approval for that. And I went and just, you know, I got what small upgrade, not very big, but it was a, it's a gaming machine. And so I went to Best Buy and they had an open box for this monitor that I bought for myself. And then I just went nuts. Cause I'm like, wait, I've got, I've got a killer gaming machine here. Oh my God. I just like, it hit me all of a sudden. Like I can now play games on like the PC. It's been so long. And so I bought this 37 inch monitor that was open box for 280 bucks. I couldn't believe it. And then I was like, well, I'm going to get a cool keyboard too. So I got this mechanical keyboard and this gaming mouse and it's sitting next to me. And it's like got all these cool colors and the keyboard is just tremendous. Wow. It's so cool. (laughs) <laughs> which know, which keyboard I got the Corsair and I forgot the it's the quiet key it's a newer one Corsair MX something like that but yeah you want to hear it that was very it. nice yeah yeah so I've been enjoying it I you know it's one of those things where if I sit down to do a particular thing sometimes I have to use my Mac for instance I record a lot of video and I am much faster at screen flow than I am in Camtasia. So I'll just, I have, I have two desks and I have one chair that swings between each and I'll swing over here and I'll do my recording or whatever. a keynote, I'm also way better in keynote. So I figure, you know, I don't know, I'll just use these things, but then for work Mm -hmm. stuff, you know, i jump over to, I'll jump over to my other, to the windows machine. And I'll be there for most of the day, just plunking along and doing my thing. And it's pretty fun. I think the one thing that I have to get used to is I'm used to doing like thumb, on the command key, like command Q or command W to close a window, you know, command A. So I use my thumb for that. But on the Windows machine, I have to use my pinky for the control key. <laughs> so mm. that's taken a bit of a doing because, yes, yeah, like for the first few weeks that I was doing it, I kept popping open the menu. I'm like, why is it keep? Oh, right. Because <laughs> that's yeah. where the Windows key is.
2: You know, oh. it took me some time, speaking of commands and controls and stuff. It took me a while, and I still don't really have the... It seems still a little bit random what is control and what's command on Mac. Yeah,
1: that's true. And
2: on on Windows, I feel like there's kind of a control and alt and Windows key all kind of like conceptually do different things. I can never remember control, command, shift, Q eight, like whatever. You know what I mean? It took me a while to remember like what all the screenshot keys are and stuff. So I feel like that's a little bit weird I don't
1: know yeah
2: on Windows yeah. lately I've been liking also I don't know if you use this but the windows power toys there's some yeah. cool stuff that they're adding in there that's like just all these cool shell features that it's like oh, I wish they had that a long time ago but this is beautiful you know
1: the only thing that I do in Windows proper is open up edge which I use because it 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 has all its certificates and everything so it just goes and accesses uh, corporate email Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's, it's seamless and Outlook web is great. I can't use Outlook web for people who are wondering the way our security is set up. I can't use Outlook web unless the machine is registered with the, with the company. So yeah, I mean, other I used to be able to do that, but not anymore. But anyway, that's the only thing I do inside of windows and maybe I'll play around in Outlook or some other tool. Like I really like, oh, what's the screen capture tool called? Snagit? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I really but do They have the built-in
2: – well, I, I'm sure Snagit does more, but they do have on Windows now the WinShift
1: mm-hmm. S. Um. Yeah, so I've been using that too. Snagit Sna- – I like the way Snagit stores everything in a library. Mm-hmm. And so I've been yeah, I've been doing that. But yeah, you I mean, to poke around. So wait, Robbie, so are,
0: are you saying you mostly just live inside of WSL?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and so so your,
0: favorite, your favorite feature of Windows is the, the one that lets you pretend is not Windows? Is that <laughs> –
1: well, yeah, that sounds like that, huh? No, I use a uh, word. I use Word a lot, like all those, you know, office apps. I mean, our whole team we use a whole slew of them. I use Teams, of course. So all of those corporatey things I use for sure. But yeah, for development stuff, I don't. I haven't gone in. I don't. I haven't opened Visual Studio once. I probably should, but I just don't do .NET stuff. And I, you know, for Node and anything else, VS Code is amazing. So I use. I use mostly that.
2: Yeah, I think one nice thing that you kind of went through kind of quick is the the hardware independence, right? You're able to pick oh, all your yeah. stuff, right? And, be, and so that's still partly I have, you know, the MacBook is great for, like, all my office stuff I'm mm-hmm. doing on there. Of course, any browser stuff, any dev, like the dev, I'm having a great time with that. But then I, like, if I want to play a game or something, you know, or, like, I'm recording this call on my on my windows machine. Cause like I've got a huge hard drive and I've got a ton, you know, like tons of memory and lots of 48 CPUs or whatever. And it's just doing its thing, you know? So. Yeah.
1: No, that was one of the fun things is going to the Microsoft store we have right here in our mall. It's right across, of course, from the Apple store, <laughs> but yeah, walking through there and I was texting Damien Edwards and like, all right, man, help me out. What do I get? You know? And so of course everyone is pushing me towards the surface book, which you know, or is, is that what it's called? The Surface Pro, whatever. And they beautiful machines. I mean, the keyboard is amazing. And I love the idea of touch screen. But again, I don't like touching the screen. I don't know why. I, I just couldn't see myself using that. And then I, that's when I realized I need horsepower. And so, of course, they had like six different models of all different kinds of machines. And they're all so much cheaper than, you know, the high-end Macs. So, yeah.
2: Well, so on both sides of this has been interesting with with the macbook i had to try i installed steam and there's a decent not mm-hmm. a huge amount but there were a decent amount of games in my library of course mm-hmm. a lot of them were the more kind of like boutique you know kind of more like not the huge first person shooter kinds but they just kind of like cool story focused kind of games that actually mm-hmm. did show up on the macbook so that was cool
1: but yeah. i think a lot
2: of games are built in unity and so they're That'll work okay.
1: Yeah, the days of the days of having isolated games, you know, I think that's kind of coming to an end. Mm-hmm. However, I will say um, that, <clears throat> gosh, I can't even believe I'm admitting this out loud. I still jump into World of Warcraft just because that's me, and <laughs> I have. So I, I bought a new MacBook, the brand new 16 inch, because I couldn't stop myself. Because I, the one critique I've always had is that the graphics. The graphics look beautiful, but if you try and do anything graphics intensive, the card is just not very good. You know what I mean? Whereas the Windows machine I have is just all the horsepower in the world. Well, anyway, the new MacBooks have killer graphics cards, and so I, I, mean, I couldn't stop myself, so I went and got one of those uh, for myself. <laughs> <clears throat> so the funny thing is, is I was like, all right, I'm going to go see what World of Warcraft because that's my that's my benchmark. Is like, how high can I, you know, jump the settings on on the thing? So I logged into Warcraft. It was okay. It was pretty good. I would say it was about a 20% improvement over my old machine. Yeah. You go on you go on the Windows box, forget about it. I mean, mm-hmm. whoa. Like even on this, I have a 34 inch, 37 inch monitor on my desk here. And yeah, it's a big one. And whoa, I mean, I, I just ramped it all the way out. It, I have like it is as smooth as butter. And so to me, it's like, yeah, there's still a difference. The graphics processing on Windows, like as far as some games go, versus Mac, is just it's not there yet.
2: Hmm. One other interesting thing that they've done on Windows that they should have done a thousand years ago is there's an Xbox app in Windows 10, mm-hmm. and a decent amount of Xbox games will run in there. So
1: I've seen that. Then, I've been wondering about that.
2: I wouldn't necessarily myself. I, I'm very very cheap but I I wouldn't necessarily like go out and spend on it but they have the Xbox game pass that they had a really good deal for Microsoft employees so mm-hmm. I got that and then there's all these games on there and I'm like whoa I play yeah. so I mean I already have steam games and and stuff I mean I've got more games than I'll ever play of course because they have the steam sales and you have to buy them all and you never play them but right but it was neat looking at Xbox and go like huh I could play all these games if I wanted
1: yeah. Sitting on a meeting, like mute yourself, (laughs) John. You're not muted. I can hear you clicking.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I actually have played Wolfenstein lately. The but the new Wolfenstein, where you're, it's like alternate history if Germany had won. Oh yeah, yeah. Modern day. Yeah,
1: it's fun. Oh fun. I was on a meeting. I think it was uh, a few months ago, and I mean, it was just like a really loose loose whatever internal team meeting like someone had done that they forgot to mute their their microphone and like you could hear them go bang 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 <laughs> That's you'd, think they, you know, they, you'd think they'd have the headphones set but they didn't anyway everyone was laughing i mean you know no one cared at all it was not a big deal
2: I saw someone tweet recently about a zoom meeting where some, it was, I think medical professionals or something. And somebody thought they were muted and they were They're like, this guy's an idiot. <laughs> and then, oh, no. and they just said it out loud. And then that ended the meeting basically. Oh no.
1: You know what was mm-hmm. it? Maybe he was set up as a potato. I'm going to do that. I'm going to get my potato cam going. Have you read about this? No. Oh, uh, someone couldn't figure out. They, they changed themselves into a potato for a meeting and they and it was something to do with i think it was SnapCam is what they were using but they Mm. thought it was the software i think it was zoom and they're like forever trying to figure out how to (laughs) how to undo it and they couldn't so they just carried out the meeting as a potato (laughs) that's pretty funny
2: and it was a cabinet meeting or something probably right
1: god exactly right
2: wow well yeah i mean i guess so Kind of summarizing some of this stuff, it is weird. Like I'm able to use, like I went, I had a similar experience, Rob, where I like on the Mac set up all this stuff with Z shell and all the console stuff. And then I was like, I guess I should do this on my windows machine. Cause I just never gotten around to doing it. And mm. it was like, basically like copy the stuff over, do the same thing. And, and, and then I, I am just finding so many of the things are like not that different. I mean, there's little, there's minor things about like the finder doesn't do exactly the yes. same thing that the windows Explorer does and stuff, you know, but for the most part, it's like, dang, it's uh, so many things now. have just kind of gotten a lot more simple.
1: Hmm. Yeah, it's true. I think for me, the biggest, the biggest thing that I've finally did, I was resistant to Dropbox forever. And you know, I've tried all these like solutions. In fact, there was one that you could, what's it called? Own cloud. Where you can set up a server on DigitalOcean, download the client, and then you have your own Dropbox, and which is kind of cool. But you know, it just it would crash. I I have a NAS right, so I have a Synology. I tried using that, but it would ramp up my CPU to 100%. Cost. I'm like, nothing works as good as Dropbox. So finally, is like, just pay, <laughs> just pay for the damn thing. So now, yeah, would I have two terabytes or something like that? I store absolutely everything on there, and I don't ever have to worry about it.
0: Okay, well, I think we're about, a, about an hour, so probably time to wrap up this discussion. Thanks, guys. Um, I have one. I, I had one
2: revelation, just as you were saying that.
0: Go ahead. A, a very funny thing is, you
2: know, people joke about the year of Linux on the desktop, and part of what I think has made both of these, Windows and Mac, kind of, you know, similar, is the whole Linux thing, mm-hmm. which is kind of crazy, right? You know, I mean, it's the... Mac you know with the whole thing of moving to Darwin and and the whole kind of unixy underpinnings and then windows like just as part of the whole open source development thing like not just the terminal but also just like the way that things work has gotten a lot more unixy and so it's just kind of funny seeing that
0: <laughs> Yeah I mean I've I've always thought that the reason why the Mac became so popular in the development space was had nothing to do with the the ui it was about the fact that oh, it was yeah. unix under the covers and so and everybody was running unix on their server so it gave them like a unixy mm-hmm. experience right. and and now now windows is finally getting that <laughs>
1: yeah i know yeah. but it's interesting it's like true linux it blows my mind it just blows my it, mind
0: you know it's
2: funny to me too how windows has been, like for a while i was always jealous of mac getting more by doing less, by just running on top of, of Unix stuff and using stuff like Chromium and all this stuff, right? And so it's like, you know, taking advantage of code that they didn't have to write and things they didn't have to design. And Windows is finally starting to do that. Like there's the WSL with the whole Linux experience, but also like, you know, Rob, you mentioned Edge and Edge is running on Chromium, you know, and mm-hmm. it's like, don't have to you don't have to write everything you don't have to invent everything you know so it's more about like being the packager and you know support and you know updates and stuff Yep. all right now i'll let you wrap up kevin all right finally (laughs) all right thanks
1: tune in next time for another episode of urban go